This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. To be honest, this week has been both physically and emotionally difficult for me. But while editing this episode with Jan Johnson, I was reminded of the simple yet profound truth. Jesus loves me and he has me right now in this moment and every moment in between. Jan is an author, a speaker, a college professor, and a spiritual director. She is the author of one of my all-time favorite books, Abundant Simplicity. My conversation with her was like a personal spiritual retreat as we talk about spending time with Jesus and listening for his voice in our lives. Grab a pen and a paper and tag this episode as a favorite. I believe it is one you will want to visit again and again. Good morning, Jan. Thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast this morning. Thank you, Amber. It's good to be with you. Will you take a moment and introduce our listeners to yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do so they can be introduced to you appropriately? I'm primarily a writer. I've written um, 23 books, uh, truckloads of Bible studies, and I'm also a grad school prof and a retreat speaker and a spiritual director. Tell me, where are you a professor? Oh, gee. Okay. Hope International University in Fullerton, Friends University in Wichita, Richmond in Atlanta. I've been at Denver Seminary, and I'm I'm missing one. It'll come to me in a minute. Well, there we are. <laughs> That's fantastic, though. So do you travel around to these places, just different semesters to do different things, or do you guest lecture? Well, Azusa Pacific University is the other one, and I go there, which is about an hour from me. I teach online a lot. Okay, yeah. And at Friends University, where I teach online, it works well because I already know my students because I also am an instructor at Apprentice Experience. And so I go there several times a year. And so I know those students and I do travel to Richmond, but the other Friends courses are online and Hope is online. And occasionally I do a residency there. So I get to know my students pretty well. That's my goal. Yeah, well, and that's the nice thing about our day and age about being able to do online, because while it can be distracting in some ways, it's so nice because it does open up the opportunity for you to teach students, whether it be, you know, across America or right where you are. It's just such a great opportunity for people to be able to learn and for people like you to be able to teach anywhere, right? Right. I've had students in Thailand. So cool. All over the world. So it, it really is helpful. And, you know, sometimes... I'm I'm learning this. I've been doing it 10 years online. Sometimes people can say something online that they couldn't say in person. So true. Makes up for some of the lack that online provides. Yeah, that is true. And before we get into our, you know, what we're here to talk about, that kind of leads us into it because 
it's easy sometimes to focus on what people will say negatively online that they wouldn't necessarily say to someone's face. But there are things that can be drawn out online from people that are very positive and very introspective that opens them up in a way that they may struggle to do face to face. People are always looking for a safe space. Mm. And if you create that, they dive in. Ah. Yes, it's so true. Well, as we get into that, Will, you've been walking with Jesus for many, many years. Will you take our listeners just back to your early days of your faith journey and give us a little bit of background about how, you know, you started walking with Jesus? Well, I grew up in a home where my mother was a Christian and took me to church and I loved going to church with her and my dad was not. And he would take me to the bars on Saturday with him. And, you know, that was really very cool because I always had a sense that Jesus was everywhere and that I was taking Jesus with me, with with my dad too. And I think that's actually given me a very down-to-earth attitude. I just felt like Jesus, it was going to show up any minute. So I loved youth group and I went to Bible college and graduated and I worked in a lot of churches. And I think I was Amber, I think it was your classic, hardworking, you know, Christian who had this great quiet time and all that stuff. Then my life just really fell apart at one point. And I ended up in a 12-step group. And that was really good for me because I started exploring my inner life. And I started thinking more about surrender instead of the hyper control that I was used to mm-hmm. doing. Started learning about giving things over to God. And then step 11 talks about prayer, meditation, and conscious contact with God. So I got out The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, and I read it like every month for five years. Wow. And it really became part of my life where I wasn't so control. It, I guess I would call the other very mechanical and very checkbox spirituality. Mm. And this, so everything became so much more relational. That's why... My book, Enjoying the Presence of God, really is in 95, 96, really was the the turning point, the pivot, where I just thought, okay, I'm just going to hang out with Jesus. And then when I was in the Word, I thought, well, how could could I really connect with God in the Word rather than just checking it off? That's when I began really exploring what it would look like to meditate on Scripture, because that, for me, that's what took care of that, you know, that 18-inch gap from head to heart thing. Yeah. It really helped me enter in with God in a new way and begin to have a better conversation with God. So I really began to experience God as the companion of my soul at that mm. point. And so I I started using all my writing and speaking really to be about having an interactive life with God. Mm. Well, and speaking of that, you you are a writer, you are a speaker, you are a spiritual director whose ministry focuses on spiritual formation partnering with God and caring for the voiceless and living with purposeful intentionality. Those are some big church words, but they're so vital to the Christian, to the believer, to the person who truly wants to walk with Jesus. Will you define those three things, expound on those a little bit for us so they don't feel so, you know, uber spiritual for lack of better words? Spiritual formation is really discipleship. Mm -hmm. But it's not just doing practices. It's about letting the Spirit transform you into Christ-likeness or 
what I often say, Amber, is letting the spirit help you become the person your mother prayed that you would become (laughs) (laughs) and the person your dog thinks you already are. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Because by hanging out with Jesus, and that's what the spiritual practices are about, they're different ways of connecting with God. In the midst of all of that, with a sense of increasing love, especially, that is so important, and increasing oneness with God, your character really begins to change. And people notice it. You start, you just start doing the things Jesus did, like in the Gospels. You see, he's always running off, yeah. you know, and he's got, he's wanting to be with God. I don't think he did that, Amber, just so that you and I would feel guilty if we don't. <laughs> That's such I a think- great, yes, yes, speak that again. Not <laughs> so we will feel guilty about not doing it. But why? Why do you think he did it? Because he just wanted to be with God. And really, the focus of attention in spiritual formation isn't on me and how I'm doing and mm. spiritual practices and what I'm, it's not on that. It's it's always about oneness with God, mm. union mm. with God. What would it look like to love God for the next 10 minutes? Yeah. What would that be like? Well, and I recently heard someone say that this quiet time, this one-on-one time with God is comes from a place of privilege. And I really wrestled with that because I thought, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure that I agree with that because it really comes from a place of trying to emulate Jesus. And the privilege that Jesus had was being God's son. It was not a privilege that we as Westerners think about. So really, it's a practice that it doesn't matter where you are in life, our, the desire of our heart should be to spend more time with God. Yeah, I always stay away from the word should. <laughs> That's a, yes, yes. I shouldn't put my shoulds on anybody. But I think God woos us into this. Yeah. If we are paying attention, God will woo us into this and we will increasingly want to do this. There's a mm. certain amount of discipline and habit, but it's it's just about being with the one you love. Mm. Think about, you know, does someone have to force you to go on a date with your spouse? Right. Does someone have to force you to have coffee with a with a friend? Yeah. No. And sometimes you do have to make an appointment. Right. Because <laughs> life gets crowded, especially you, Amber, you know, those those yeah. kiddos. Woo! Yeah. Uh, but and, that's a uh, good perspective of the early days of that's why we do set up habits. Yeah. In fact, and it's the continuing time. I would say the time with God I have is the best time of the day. Mm. And I just try to let it, it permeates, it begins to permeate the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So I actually learned how to diaper a baby for the love of Jesus. (laughs) Yes, that was, that laugh is very good because I was a highly distracted mom of small children. You know, I just, I just wanted to read the book, okay? (laughs) Oh, girl, that's the story of my life. But you're right. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about this having a voice for the voiceless. There's a lot of people in our culture that are not heard. They they aren't the ones who we think about. They may have a vote, but that's, that's about all. And maybe they don't even have that. But people that we don't even regard, um, the the voiceless in this world, the countries that we we don't even know their capitals, we don't even know their names mm-hmm. because they don't exist for us actually. So, giving a voice to them, being able to be with them in the midst of things, is really important to me. So, 
I volunteered at a drop-in center for the homeless for a few decades and empowering them, giving them a place where they can put together a resume, giving them a place where they can get a shower so that they can show up for a job interview clean and, and all that kind of stuff and, and, and loving them. Because most of the time when you when people see someone who's homeless, what one guy told me, he goes, you get real familiar with the top of your shoes because mm-hmm. nobody ever looks at you. So you always look down. Oh. And so calling people by name, looking them in the face, smiling, being glad to see them. For me, that's part of how I do that. But there's many people, individuals and populations that are voiceless. A lot of times the elderly, a lot of the time, small children. Yeah. People just wish, wish they'd sit down and be quiet. And so being able to be with those people, because that's what Jesus did. The people that nobody wanted to hang out with, there he was. Those poor disciples, you know, they're going, oh, gee, here we go again. <laughs> we came all the way across the Sea of Galilee. We're going to hang out with this guy who's naked and screaming. And yeah. He says he has a legion of demons. What is Jesus thinking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what you said earlier is so good, like using, you, you didn't say it in these words, but using, you know, the gift that God has given you to partner with him for the voiceless. And that may look different for different people. It might, but you know, what's interesting, Amber, is if we say the gift or whatever, I don't think that I really had that. I wrote a lot about homelessness, but God really confronted me. So when are we going to do the stuff? Do the stuff you're talking about. Right. So I had to, I had to take time off work. Mm. I'm not a natural extrovert. So I had to learn to welcome the stranger So, I mean, it really worked against most of what I was, but I had such a sense that God was saying, this is what I created you for. And this gets into the purpose in life. What breaks your heart that breaks the heart of God? Mm. And what breaks my heart is folks that are homeless. So that's what I do in, in partnering with God. And different things break people's hearts differently, which is great. Yeah. Because then we're all the hands and feet of Jesus in so many different ways. Yeah. But do it. Yes. Get out and do it. Don't just talk about it and write about it. And yes. Well, and and ask God for a next step. Mm. What might that be? It might be to make a phone call. It might be to ask someone questions. But don't, just don't make this some big heroic thing. Right. Yeah. Good perspective. What does it look like to live with that purposeful intentionality. You're kind of touching on that a little bit now, but what does that look like? Purposeful intentionality. Well, having that sense of what God's inviting you into and not doing just what you're good at. If you do that, you know, you're going to get asked to do a gazillion things because everybody's good at something. Absolutely. And so there needs to be some intentionality on what is God inviting me into. And in my case, I was being invited into something that was really hard, something I wrote about, but I I was invited to cross that line and do something hard, which was really good for me. And it's been, um, I have met Jesus in that space in completely different ways than all of my Bible study and meditation and everything. And and it's it's been really good. So knowing, having a growing sense of what God's inviting you into and just taking the next step, doing things rather than just drifting, rather than just doing whatever you're asked to do, having a sense of what God's calling you to do, and then doing it. 
Well, and as you're speaking, you're ministering to me because something that's been going on in my heart for about, I mean, it's been probably six months is this, you know, God is calling you to love the poor. Mm-hmm. And I know exactly where that space is in my community. And I am not boldly stepping into it out of fear and not fear of not doing the right thing or any of those things, fear of giving up the time and investing it. Yeah. Because my time is so limited, but realizing that really I'm missing out. I am missing out on a closer relationship with the savior of my soul because of my fear. And so as I'm listening to you, and, and, and it has been something over this time, steps along the way that God just keeps saying, you know, uh-huh. through situations, through my Bible study, through speaking to you, through just lots of different things is, I'm, I'm calling you to this, and I'm going to keep calling you to this until you say yes. And God will help you with your mm-hmm. next steps, and God will help you figure out a way that this works, even at the stage of life you're at. Yeah with your little ones. Yeah. My kids were nearing teenagers by the time I really started volunteering at the Samaritan center. And, and it was funny. People would say to my, my kids, how come you know all those people that are washing up in the bathroom at the library? And they would go, it's my mom. She takes me to the Samaritan center. And then they so start fantastic. telling stories. Well, there's so-and-so and then there's so-and-so and, and um, bringing them along And they will have a different thing that breaks their heart, that breaks the heart of God. But they will also pick up some of what you do in in a very self-absorbed, you know, striving for that high achievement culture. That's that's one of the best things you can do for your kids. Mm. Yes, I love it. Well, the biggest reason I reached out to you for an interview is because after my second born, well, my second, my daughter, she's my first daughter, my second born. I read your book, Abundant Simplicity, and it challenged me and changed me and really brought me to a place of being content where I was when I was very, very discontent. And so I am going to just read one thing from that book that really impacted me. There are millions, and it is something I would highly recommend for people, but I want to talk a little bit about this portion. So in Abundant Simplicity... It says, in the recent past, followers of Christ have mostly practiced disciplines of engagement, such as study, prayer, service, worship, and fellowship. Disciplines of engagement help us take in the life of God. Disciplines of abstinence, however, such as fasting, solitude, silence, chastity, secrecy, frugality, and simplicity of speech and time, Help us let go of life-draining behaviors. We need to exhale what is unnecessary as well as inhale nourishment from God. Let's say there's someone who's listening who just longs for that life void of life-draining behaviors. But so much like me and, and a struggle that I still have is, you know, I just feel stuck or overwhelmed with getting started on that. Um, It can seem impossible. Like where and how would you suggest that we begin to start ridding ourselves of those life-draining behaviors? Well, Amber, I've been accused of answering every question with the same answer. (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of times it's the same thing. (laughs) So 
Ask Jesus. Okay, I'll yeah. unpack that a bit more. Start having a conversation with God that says, what is it that I need to, what could I let go of? What am I hanging on to just because it makes me look good? Mm. What am I hanging on to just because people think that I should do that? And just ask, it's back to purposeful intentionality. What do I really want? And help me to clear away the rest. So it, this can be done in a few ways. Ideally, you would just have some time where you could clear, you could clear away some time to just be relaxed and just hang out with God and ask God what you need to know and where you need to start. And you may have to do this regularly to kind of get back there. It could be a morning in the park. It could be wherever. But whatever you do, don't try to be, don't try to be spiritual. Mm. That's what people do. And then they're expecting, you know, lightning to strike or some sort of thing like that. But just be able to be with God. You can take your Bible if you want. You might want to go over some of your favorite passages, but just drench yourself in God's love. No shame and blame. Um, Just be with God. The phrase we use at Apprentice Experience is, I am one in whom Christ delights and dwells, and I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Start looking at time, first of all. What would I let? That's where I started in the book. Having an unhurried, relaxed, easy life where you're depending on God every minute. And you can do that because you've let go of a whole bunch of things that everyone else thinks you should never have let go of. Mm-hmm. And look at time. What would what would I need not to always be hurried? And, you know, Amber, that's what we pass on to our kids so much is Hurry and hurry really rips First Corinthians thirteen out of the Bible. Mm. You are not as important as this task. So, being able to slow it down, be able to, to be with God, and and as we think about time, a lot of it's a conversation. We could stand to say about half of what we say. <laughs> quick to listen and slow to speak, and just cut out. Oh, well, I just said that because, you know, that's called impression management. Mm. Just let go of that. And then probably one of the toughest things in our culture is frugality or simplicity of possessions. And that starts with clearing out a lot of what you own. Mm-hmm. You really don't need it. And it's taking you, you got to take care of it and arrange it and try and figure out where it is so you can do something with it. And then really limit the acquisition of things, shopping. In fact, that's another way. We disciple our kids to be consumers because we take them in store so much. Mm. Uh, Just minimize the time in a store. Minimize the shopping. If you need something, put it on a list and see if you still need it a few days from now. Mm -hmm. And put some delayed action in there. And God may find a way to provide it. God may give you a good idea. You don't really need that. You've already got this. Oh, right. I just find Jesus to be very practical. <laughs> I mean, he is very practical. You're right. Spent most of his life as a carpenter. Yeah. Before a rabbi. So, you know, getting getting what we need and being able to make do with what we have and do over what we have is, is really important. But truly limiting what we buy. Do I really need this? Why is it I think I need this? And sometimes, Amber, we have to have funny little disciplines. There's a 
really cool Christian bookstore in Pasadena, which is about 45 minutes from me. And I used to go to Pasadena once a month for an appointment. And so part of my simplicity discipline of time and shopping was not to go there because Mm -hmm. I went there and I bought books I did not need. Yes, girl, you are preaching over here. (laughs) I could spend a lot of time in a bookstore buying books that I do not need and that I don't even have time to read right now. Or let's say you're in Target and you went there to get something for your kids that they really need. But then you wander over into the women's clothing. Mm-hmm. Boy, I have to tell you, in, in Abundant Simplicity, I talk about the heart exam. I had more heart exams on that aisle over to the women's clothing. <laughs> heart exam went something like, so you want to look younger? Is that what you're doing here? You know, that's not a high value. You want to look more with it? Is that really, is that a high value? You want the high of buying something new? I mean, I would just stand there and go, oh my gosh, all the reasons I'm going over here are just not good reasons. And it was funny. It's like God would give me enough grace in that moment to turn it around and get out of there. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did. Just having the space to ask yourself that question. And sometimes we certainly, and me, I'm speaking to me, don't ask that question because I kind of know the answer. So it's interesting to be having this conversation because as we're talking about the book, Abundant Simplicity, I want listeners to know it's not just simplicity of, like you said, less stuff Mm -hmm. that you own in your home, but you talk so much about just simplicity of thought and all of these different things that are just profoundly impactful. So how do we, and I mean, maybe you'll give us the same answer, but just (laughs) staying on that path, um, what are some things that you do to just because we always revisit these struggles. I don't want anyone to ever think that I have a struggle that I don't come back and revisit because it's just partially my own flesh that's struggling with it, but developing those habits of, of fighting it. What are some spiritual practices that you have in place to continuously fight those internal battles, those outward battles even? I'm going to answer this question backwards. Okay. The reason that I wrote the book was that I would go to churches and I would teach them about scripture meditation. I would teach them about hanging out with God. I would teach them all these cool things. And then they'd have me come back in a year or two and they all thought it was so great and they were all going to do it and they're not doing it. Mm. And I thought, why is it they're not doing it? Well, because of simplicity, they don't have time. Their life is too cluttered. They have to take care of their stuff and buy more stuff. And so what happens when you practice simplicity is that you have more time to do the things you really care about, Mm -hmm. which includes playing with your kids on the floor Mm -hmm. in your stage of life. Mm -hmm. And so you find a lot of reward in being able to do the things you really want to do. If you serve with purposeful intentionality, this is what God's calling me to. And when you describe that you'd been hearing it from here, and that is totally God wooing. God is so fun, you know. Well, I'll talk to her this way. Well, yeah. I'll talk to her this way. And so when you start responding with purposeful intentionality and you start the practice of spiritual formation of being able to just be with God, I think to a great extent, all that complicated life falls away. 
because you sit there and you go, but I don't think, you know what? That's a lot of work. I'm just, I'm going to go to that. I'm going to do all of that just for that. Oh, gee. I would rather be here, sit in front of the fireplace with my family, be here, sit in front of the fireplace and talk to Jesus, then go do that. I'm going to find a way around it. So it's self-rewarding, I think. Or you're in the middle of something and you're so overwhelmed because of time and because all this stuff. And then you think, how did I get here? Oh, gee, I know how I got here. So I think part of it is the reward is so great. And then the lack of reward is so huge when you forget. Mm -hmm. So being able to pray about, especially time, what is it God's calling me to do? In the book, I talk about people who, one woman talked about creating white space on her calendar, Mm -hmm. being able to be at home. I have one directee the other day who's out every night of the week. And I used to do that. And I just looked at her and I said, and how is that? She said, it's not good. Mm-mm. And then she would name the things she was doing. And I said, are you getting anything out of these things? No. But see, she was living her life based on doing what other people thought she should do. Mm-hmm. That is not purposeful intentionality. No, it is life sucking too. And I know from experience. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I am the one that is like, don't put your kids in everything because I promise you're going to be tired a month from now. I've done it. It's not worth it. And crabby mom, tired mom is the worst thing. It's worse. It's bad for you, but your kids really pick it up. And then they you're do. you're not paying attention to them. And, you know, Amber, I think a lot of our troubles come from trying to be the perfect mom, perfect wife, perfect mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Perfect church member. No. Do what God is inviting you into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and remember that it's not everything. Right. Well, you teach a lot about, content- how do you say it? Is it contemplative prayer? Yeah, contemplative prayer. Okay. Uh-huh. I mean, I feel like that word just does not roll off my tongue. It does. <laughs> I know. As many times as I've said it, because I have a couple of dear friends here in Raleigh who we speak about that. It, it never rolls off my tongue. So... You teach a lot on that. Tell us, what is it? And how do you enter into this type of prayer? Well, most of our prayer these days is nonstop talking on our part. And we even have lists. We have outlines. Mm -hmm. We have the whole thing. And I'm not saying that's not a good thing because there's space for all those things that's happening there. But you, you've met a friend for coffee and they just totally dump on you the whole time. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> there's been occasions where I've been that person and I've called and apologized. I'm like, I realize I did that. It was not okay. So yes. And it's not so much that God needs for you to listen, but we need to be in relationship with God because when we're doing that, We're sort of treating God like a vending machine where we're just putting in coin after coin. And then at the end, we expect some sort of goodie to drop, like God will give me everything I want. Um, And it's really a relationship. It's not mechanical. It's relational. So to be able to be with God and for there to be space for you to hear God, space for you to listen. But that doesn't mean that you play God on demand. In one of my grad classes where I have them do this as an assignment, I call it an experiment. 
I tell them not to play God on demand and they still do it anyway. You're just hanging out with Jesus. And most of the time, what you will hear more than anything else is, I love you. I've got you. And that really is the deepest truth of the universe. Mm. We need not to underestimate it. You will know exactly what you need to know today. I usually wrap contemplative prayer with meditating on scripture. So I, I read the passage and then I just notice what stands out to me and I ponder any invitation God might be giving me. I always respond to God in meditation and Bible study. In fact, okay, so Amber, you know what's going on today? in our corner of the kingdom is we just go to the Bible for nuggets. Oh, I got another nugget. Or we listen to a sermon for another nugget. We weren't born to walk away with more nuggets. Mm. It's all fuel for conversation. Mm. You want to say back to God, okay, this is what I think you're saying to me or God, I see what you're saying, but I really, I have no idea how I can do this. I need a next step. And could you make it small? Yeah. And to be able to be in conversation with God. So contemplative prayer is that space to really interact with God. And especially that space. Here's a one syllable word that will be much easier. Just to soak. Mm. Soak in God's goodness. Imagine the face of Jesus when he healed people. How delighted he was. How God is delighted in you. Mm. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save will take great delight in you, will quiet you with this love and rejoice over you with singing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just sit in that for a few minutes. And in the beginning, it drives you crazy because you're just not used to doing that. So a candle helps. That's why I said a fireplace. Whatever it is that helps you do that, that would be a good thing to do. But you just need space a lot of times I'll, I do this early in the morning and I'll turn on the light to read the scripture, but then I just, I turn it off after Mm I kind of journal my prayer and I just sit and soak in the love of God. It's also a time of worship. God is God. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. And isn't that enough? Right. See, and we're back to oneness with God, union with God. That's really the biggest deal. God is the companion of your soul. Prayer isn't just a place for you to go give God a list of what God is to do today. Yeah. And speaking about that, and and it's a practice even I want to establish more, is just that sitting quietly. Mm -hmm. And so I currently already have the habit of knowing when I'm going to get the most quiet time, and I know my soul needs it. So I've established that habit for years and years. But what I hear most frequently from particularly women in my stage of life with young children is I don't have the time. And I struggle so much to communicate with them that you do have the time. You just have to find it. And I don't know. I mean, do you ever run into that with people maybe that you're teaching or people that are in, I don't know, as you're educating people, just finding that time and disciplining yourself to make it? Do you have anything you would share for those women or men that may be listening? Well, we're back to ask Jesus. Yeah. I have some creative ideas, but I have to tell you, now this doesn't sound like contemplative prayer, but I would say some of my biggest spaces of contemplative prayer have been not sitting quietly, Mm. but hiking. Yeah. That's a, that's a quiet place for me though. Even hearing everything else, 
because I know what you mean. Being in nature, hiking, that's one for me. Running, people are like, I don't understand how that's some of your best time with God. And I'm like, because for the first five minutes, I'm listening to music that's typically very thoughtful, God-centered music. And the words that other people have written just send me right into this place of fellowship with God. But it takes me about 10 minutes of running before I get there. What you said is so good. I hear that over and over. And you're right. In the beginning, you have to tell all those, all the committee members in your head, you have to tell them to go away. Mm -hmm. Now, I have an injury that doesn't allow me to run. So I ride a bike. Yeah. And that sounds funny. I do have to pay attention to traffic. No, my husband's the same. Right. But that time with God, hiking and riding my bike has been huge. And I usually try to do it after I have been in the word. It sort of doubles your time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can just go for a walk. Yes. There's a whole lot of things you can do that really work. And people will find a different thing at different times. I remember when I would rock my kids sometimes, and especially as they would fall asleep. Um, Oh, Amber, those were back in the days when we actually sang hymns. So I would keep a hymn. Listen, I'm a BSFer, a Bible study fellowshipper. So I still sing hymns to my babies. (laughs) And so I'd be sitting there and I kept the hymnal because I, because I kept mixing up all the verses of greatest life faithfulness. And I kind of wanted to get to that third one. Well, so, I mean, or just, you know, singing to God and just being with God, but it's about quieting the mind. And people talk about they pray when they drive. That probably, that is not plan A, but it sure can fit in there Mm -hmm. if you are already with God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, for a lot of people, prayer is simply worrying out loud. Mm. Oh, yes. That is such a good word because it is so true. And I have been able to encourage some women, you know, maybe you're not an early person like me. And that's okay. But I've also said your season will change. I even see mine changing now from, you know, I mean, I have a nine, a six and a three year old. That's so much easier than what it was when I had, you know, a newborn, a three and a five year old, because I didn't think that I would ever see the light of day during those days. And now I, and I've, some of my friends who have really, you know, young kids, I've said, I'm telling you, you're going to start seeing these spaces open up. And then it does become easier to go out for that walk in the afternoon when your husband gets home because he can sit with the kids because they're not just screaming the whole time. They're actually outside playing. And so I just tell them, you know, even if all the time you have to carve out right now is 10 minutes, take that 10 minutes and make the most of it. Good for you. That is excellent, Amber. Yeah, because it's hard. Yeah, because... You know what you you start cleaning? Oh, girl, yeah. Or or just shoving more stuff. At this point, it's like, let's consume more social media. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And that's a habit. I mean, it's a habit I have to break continually. And that's actually in simplicity of life. I I think about technology, having a simplicity of technology plan. And you're right. That takes some real, in fact, that's where it helps to have a friend And you can talk about it Mm -hmm. and talk about what you're going to do because that really has become an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Andy Crouch um, in one of his books, Tech Wise Family, you know, he says, set aside, you know, start with one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year where you just 
that's your practice. It's a good place to start where it is just not in your life. And I've been saying, okay, it's time to put that into practice because I can see how it eats away at time so fast. Yeah, that idea of, you know, Sabbath is part of creation. Mm. Life works better. Humans work Mm. better. Animals work better. The crops work better with Sabbath. And so you have to kind of figure out what Sabbath would look like for you. But it's it's as close to doing nothing as possible. But God will lead leads us in this. But part of what Sabbath can be about is you just don't turn on the computer. You don't do the phone stuff. Yeah. You know, just put it away. Other things that are very fulfilling. I think, Amber, sometimes we don't do these things because we're so afraid of being bored. Oh, for sure. So we always need to know what am I running toward? Mm. And we're running toward freedom. Mm. Yeah. Being free to be with kids, being free to exhale, being free to just sit and ponder and ask God. So like, okay, this thing with my mom, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. And that's a good word too. I mean, some people I know with praying and worshiping the Lord for them, it's, you know, being out in their garden. Oh, definitely. You know, and so it is like what, I think one of my spiritual mentors had said to me, what makes you feel most alive not Mm. like what feeds the addiction any of that like what makes you truly feel alive yes and you know that's the way like running is one of the hardest things for me it is not something that I can say I enjoy it does make me feel alive when I finally get to that place where I'm in that mindset with the Lord and it's one of the only places that I can get there. And so it's great that you said it doesn't necessarily have to be in the quietest moments of your day. I really like how you said that. Because when you said you don't, you can't say that you enjoy it. Okay, it's going to take some Mm -hmm. get you there. And that's often how it is. Mm -hmm. The first few minutes are rough. But then it turns out to be you didn't use the word life giving. What word did you use? Um, (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh, makes you feel most alive. Yeah, feel most alive, feel fully alive. And see what is cool about that idea too, is that is the opposite of should. Mm-hmm. Because should mm-hmm. is being imposed by someone else and being forced. But talking about doing what makes you feel fully alive, that's invitation. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need to change our idea of what God is like. God is continually inviting us into really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And we may need some off to turn it around, you know, to get in there. Yeah. But God will just like push. Yes. Yes. It's so, so true. And I mean, I like, yeah, as I'm just listening to you and even listening to myself as I process through it, it's true. Feeling fully alive doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. It's once you're finished is when I feel fully alive. Well, and I think you feel fully alive after those first 10 minutes. Yes. It's still hard and you still have to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jan, I just so appreciate your time. And we end our show with a couple of questions. And so I'm going to start. We'll just, sometimes I do one, two or three. We've been chatting for a while. So I'm going to ask you first, A little bit about grace, because you and I look at it, well, I mean, and what it is, is God's unmerited favor. We all have it every single day, but there are times in our lives when 
I mean, just the amount of God's grace poured upon us is really the only way that we make it. Do you have a season in your life where you could share where you just really have had to cling to that unmerited favor of God? In the speaking that I do, there's often a few times a year where I'm overseas. And that means when I'm flying, I'm connecting somewhere where they don't speak English, where it's easy to miss the flight. And it's just been, that's been where I really, really need to trust God and just say, what is the next step? What do I need to do? In fact, flying in general is like that because if you have a connecting flight, I mean, I feel like I've got to be there. I'm supposed, I'm the speaker. And, um, and when a connecting flight is missed, mm-hmm. knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. And then I've always been afraid I would miss that last flight coming home. And that has happened. And I've had to spend the night in the airport and being able to ask God, okay, just show me the place to sleep. Show me the place and just take it each step and wait for that to appear. So I think that's a place where I I really need God's power and I rely on God's power and that favor comes through in the form of things that just surprise me and delight me. And um, and I'm empowered to do something I really didn't think I would be able to do. Yeah. And so I guess for me, a lot of times it's really practical things like that. Yeah. Overflowing toilets. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, asking well, Jesus, what is the next step here? What is the next thing I need to do? Yeah, just in the everyday, because he is present in the simplest and the biggest things, the most complex things that happen in our lives. Yes. Well, tell me, if you had the opportunity to sit down with your great-grandchildren and offer them some wisdom, what is something you would like to share with them? I went to this church once, and I thought these people were, like, way over the top. (laughs) These mugs. And on the mugs, it said, God is crazy about you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I was going, oh, my gosh. You know, that was Friday night. By Saturday afternoon, I wanted one of those mugs. Oh, wow. I I decided that, you know what, that really, that is what is missing. And I love the way it's worded because we just don't fully get it. And we probably won't. But that whole idea that God is crazy about us and nothing you do is going to stop that. Mm. And that whole idea that we're ones in whom Christ delights and dwells. And in this moment, we live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, that God's big message from Genesis to Revelation is just, trust me. Mm. That could be the subtitle of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Trust me. And Mm -hmm. that we we can trust that God loves us, that God will empower us to do the next thing. And Just let everything else flow out of that. Awesome. Well, Jan, I do thank you so much for being here today. This has been absolutely delightful for me. I'm so glad. It's lovely for us to be able to bless each other this way. Thank you, Amber. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the Grace Enough podcast. If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Grace Enough podcast or tag me at Grace Enough podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. 
Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.